Amen. If you have a Bible, it's my privilege to open up God's Word with you this morning uh, for the first time, for me at least, uh, in 2023, in the book of Exodus. We're going to be mostly in chapter 14 here this morning. You can begin to make your way there. If you were here last week, uh, as I was doing announcements, I didn't, I didn't plan on doing this, but uh, I had shared with you one of, just one of my uh, New Year's resolutions, and uh, it was to do a 10-second uh, handstand in 2023. And uh, I, I didn't mean to share that. My wife had called me out, and, but I, I thought, I'd, let's just run with it. And so uh, I, I've been working on that, and, and I started this week, and I, I learned a few things. I learned, uh, I'm, what's that? Show you. Yeah, we'll get to that. Just every week, just some progress, me falling over. Let me just tell you what I've learned so far. I've learned that uh, I am not the ideal body type for handstands. At six foot five and a six foot nine wingspan, uh, it makes it harder. So uh, I've learned that I've got some work to do. I've got some upper body work to do. I've got some weight to lose. I've got to, uh, I've, 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 I've got to learn some things. And so I've consulted the subject matter experts on these, meaning I googled how can I do a 10-second handstand. That led me to YouTube where the experts, which just happened to be 12, 13-year-old girls, are showing me, that sounds weird, but there's just no other 47-year-old men that can show me how to do handstands, but, but I've learned something. I'm, I'm, I'm in the process, and it's, it's, it, it is a process. And so, um, you know, it's, what's kind of started as a joke uh, and a desire, really, uh, I, I did that because I knew, like, hey, I actually do want to get in, in more shape. I, I do want to uh, get some core strength. I want to lose some weight, like, like all these things. So that's why I did that. But w- one of the things that I realized, it doesn't matter how much I want to do a handstand, like that, that might be the catalyst, but, but our desire is, is really only the first thing. Like, and you're like, duh, <laughs> of course, that's going to be a process. But, and when we understand this in so many other areas of our life, like we have some strong desires, but desire alone is not enough. Like for, for all the, the good things that we want in our life, like usually there is a process, a process of sacrifice, a process of pain at times, a process of, of, of just consistency uh, to get to the way we want. Now, now, we know that. We know that financially. We know that with our health. We know that, uh, you know, even in relationships, like the desire doesn't really matter that much. It's whether or not you're going to submit yourself to the process. Now, the reason I say that is because uh, we, we do something different when it comes to spirituality our spiritual lives. We, we've, we've landed in this place where because God's good and his grace, like we think if, as long as we have a desire to grow spiritually, that's all we need. Like, oh, well, I want, I want to be more like Jesus. Okay. But we don't then take that next step and say, well, what, what's the process? What, 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 do I, what do I sacrifice? What do I submit? What do I get rid of? Where's the, where's the process to grow physically grow strong, spiritually rather. Uh, so my prayer, my prayer for 2023 uh, as one of your pastors here at Redemption Parker, for you and for me, is that there would be, uh, 2023 would be a year of spiritual growth, that our faith w- would get stronger and understanding that that is a process. Now, now, now the good, the really good news about this is that that's, goal, that's God's goal for us as well. Did you know that? Like, like on repeat through the Bible, God is constantly wooing his people, constantly demonstrating, constantly calling 
calling him, constantly laying out a process for his people to come to a, a place of deeper understanding, deeper faith uh, and peace and higher joy in him. God's desire for you in 2023 is that you reflect his son just a bit more. But it's a process. And so, so, so to put it another way, um, my, my prayer is that you and I in, in 2023 would develop what I'll call a, a faith flinch or a gospel flinch, a trust flinch. You, you know, a flinch, right? Like when, when thing gets thrown at you, uh, you're going to respond. And, and whether or not you're trained for it, you're going to respond differently. So how do we, but by default, in a fallen world, when fallen people, are, are, we don't have a faith flinch, right? So in 2023, when things go poorly for you, when your plans don't work out, when surprises come up to the surface, um, how are you going to respond in those moments? Our default response is, oh no. Our default response is, where are you, God? What, what happened? Why, why did you abandon me? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a doubt flinch. We, we have this doubt flinch that, that through spiritual growth, we can turn into a faith flinch. I mean, I wish, I, I wish every time things didn't go well for me, I, I could just kind of lean into that and say, well, I know God's, here's what I know is true. I know God's in control. I know he's got this. I, like, I, I know that in my mind. Like, I know theology in my mind, that God is in control. But, but in my heart and in my life, that's not my response. Like, I, I can be two different people. I can know in my mind God's in control, but I can stay up at night worrying and fearful and wondering and even beginning to doubt and even beginning to accuse God in my heart and my mind because I need to develop my faith muscle. We all need to. And the good news is that's God's goal for you and for me. And uh, he's going to partner with, he's always doing that in our lives, wanting to grow us to be more and more like Christ. So that's what he's going to do in this, this scene here in Exodus chapter 14. It's a famous scene. You know it as the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, and we, we know that what that have, you've seen Charlton Heston or Disney do this whole scene, uh, but uh, there, there's more going on than, than meets the eye here. God could have easily, like God could do anything. He could have rescued his people, sent them on their way and, and forever, you know, lived happily ever after. But that's not what he does because he is working something into his people. He's working that faith muscle. He's working into them a faith flinch that they take a long, long time to get. And we take a long time. It's a process. But if, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Exodus 14. I'll pick it up in, in, in verse, uh, actually in chapter 13. But there's, there's three things I want you to see in this passage. And so there's one thing to remember, one place to look, and uh, one step to take. So a, a thing to remember, a place to look, and a step to take. This is what God wants his people then, now, and always to do. To, to remember one thing to look at one place and to take one step. So if you have your Bible, listen carefully. This is God's word. We're, we're picking it up at the end of chapter 17, uh, 13 where Ryan left off last week. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road to the Philistine country, though it was shorter. So God could have just let them out. If, if you were to go from Egypt to Israel, it's a pretty straight, straight route along the Mediterranean Sea. God doesn't do that. God, uh, God knows he's, he's protecting them. Uh, he doesn't want them to get into a war right away. So he actually leads them uh, southeast down uh, the canal of uh, the, uh, the Suez Canal uh, towards the Red Sea. And uh, as he's leading them, 
Some really cool things are happening. He's led his people out of slavery in Egypt. And um, uh, as they're leaving in haste, they, they remember the promise to, to uh, Joseph, sorry. Joseph, who 430 years earlier said, hey, here's the promise of God. He's going to give you a land and a place. But when, when you go there, don't leave my bones here. My bones matter. Take them with you so that they can be buried in the promised land. And so they do. They start to take his bones. But as they're going out, the the other cool thing is that God is clearly leading them. He's leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a a pillar of fire by night. It says night and day they're they're traveling. And so I I did some uh, study this week on the maps. And I I learned that uh, where where most scholars think that the crossing actually takes place, it's, it's down about 250 miles. So the people have been on a journey now for weeks, if not months, just traveling, following the pillar of cloud, following this, and they, they're, they're going on this road along the water to this place, and, and God is leading. And the, the thing that God wants them to remember by putting the, the pillar of cloud in the sky is to, we must always remember that God is in control. Always remember that God is in control. Rehearse that truth. Verse 22 says, Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God just wants to say, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm here. I'm present. And that's important to remember because that doesn't mean that he only leads us to happy places where rainbows and unicorns are hanging out. Like God is, is leading these people, but he leads them to, uh, from their perspective, he's leading them into a trap. So in verse chapter 14, we, we see this. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahirath, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. So, so he says, go to this place, and, and the names don't mean anything to us, but, but the names are uh, important for what's going on here. It's ba- Baal Zephon. It's uh, the god, god of the north. It was also Pihahirath. That was where all the Canaanite gods would have these councils. It is where like the center of, of foreign idol worship was. And, and the people don't know it, but God is leading them to a spiritual showdown that he's going to fight for them. And they're just along the, the ride. But it appears, it will appear to them that God has abandoned them. It will appear to them that, that God has led them into a trap. It'll, it'll appear to them on the surface that God is not keeping his promises. And so uh, God tells Moses, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in, in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. So, so we should ask the question, like, what is God doing here? Why is God leading them into this trap? It's a good question to always ask. Why does God do what he does? And there's one overarching answer to that from, from the beginning of the, to the end, from Genesis to Revelation. The, the, the supreme overarching answer to why is God doing what he's doing uh, here, now, and always. In your life, in your situation, in everything that you're facing, there's one thing God is going for in that it is to put on display his glory. Look what it says here. It says, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. 
So the Israelites said, God says, I will gain glory. In fact, this is on repeat throughout the Bible. It's two more times in our passage. Verse 17, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. God is setting this scene up to gain glory. Well, what does that mean? Well, biblically, glory, there's this idea of weight. God is constantly putting on display the, the weightiness of his personhood, the, the, the weightiness of who he is, his honor, his glory, his majesty, his power, his beauty. God wants to put that on display to the universe so that we can see and behold and rest in that and worship that and, and, and live in light of that. The universe is radically God-centered. And that is incredibly good news if we're, if we're able to get past the bad news of that. The bad news of that is the universe is not radically you-centered or me-centered. And our hearts are, are default. To, we want it to be us-centered. I want people to kind of surround me and serve me and honor me and, and see how good I am. But, but in the end, that is, is nothing. God is always doing what he's doing for his glory. And and that is incredibly good news because when God works for his glory, that's only one side of the coin. The other side of that coin is what God does for his glory, he does for his people's good. So Romans 8, 28, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, all things, all things work out together for good. So so leading a people into an impossible situation, God delights to do that all the time because he delights to put on display his glory and he always delivers his people. Now, now, he doesn't deliver necessarily when we want or how we want, but whatever you're facing, whatever dead-end road, whatever struggle or trial, if you are in Christ, you've already been transferred from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son God loves. He's already delivered you uh, eternally in that way. He will deliver you in this and every situation. And again, that doesn't mean by our definition or, or how we see it, but it will ultimately be for our good and for his glory. So this is what God is doing. So we have to remember that God is always in control, but let's see the, the, the one thing that um, we have to, the one place we have to look. So as the story unfolds, uh, just I'll summarize it. Uh, meanwhile, back in Egypt, it's been a couple months or, or at least five or six, seven weeks if, if they're moving at a normal pace. Uh, Egypt has been decimated by the plagues. Remember those? Uh, every family in Egypt has mourned the death of their oldest son. Uh, they, they have mourned the death. And I imagine some time has gone by and the Bible tells us that God continues to harden Pharaoh's heart and some anger has risen up in the Egyptians and they begin to look around at each other and like, what happened? Our, our economy's in ruins. Our, our, our slave force is, is gone. Uh, our families have suffered loss and they're angry. And they just get, and that anger just begins to fuel itself. They get angrier and angrier. And then Pharaoh finally says, I've had enough. Who, who are these Hebrew slaves? Well, we've got the most powerful army in the world. And the text says that he raised up his 600 best chariots, the most awesome, fast, debilitating weapon of, of time, at the time. He, he gets those ready. And all the other chariots, it says as well. So, so they start to roll out. If you're riding on chariots, you're going to make up a, a lot of ground pretty quickly. But they, they set off. But again, picture the scene. The Israelites don't know this. They're just following the cloud. 
They're, they're just, they're, they're going through and, and they're thinking life is pretty good right now. Like we were slaves in Egypt, but can you imagine, I imagine they're telling stories, they're singing songs. Like, yeah, it was amazing. We were, just a few weeks ago, we were slaves, but then God set us free. And, and not only that, uh, we, 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 we plundered the Egyptians, right? Like I got a sack full of gold and, and, and you got all those livestock. And, and what did you get? Oh, you got uh, clothing and you're, they're exchanging and they're just like, man, God is so good. Hashtag blessed. They're putting it on their Instagram. Like, look at us. We're, we're doing awesome. We're rolling in there. They, they go down the road and they're like, well, this is where the cloud's going. And all of a sudden the cloud like kind of just stops over the sea. They're like, okay. Cool, well, I guess God wants us to camp out. And so they, they begin to camp out for a while, and, and things are going pretty good. But then uh, one day, they see something on the horizon. Look what it says in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after him. So, so again, imagine that scene. They've got the, the cloud in the sky. They, they've been singing songs and all of a sudden they, they look on the horizon and they see some dust at first. It's, it's not much, but it, it's different than the sandstorms in those areas. So, so that, that piques their curiosity. They begin to crane their necks, but it doesn't take long for them to realize what's coming down the only road. And they're at the, the, at the dead end. What's coming down the only road is chariots, war horses. And they're like, oh no. Like, what, what do you do in that moment when, when uh, things seem to be taking a turn for the absolute worst? What's your flinch in that moment? Well, well, the Bible tells us what their flinch was. They have not yet developed a faith muscle. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after him. They were terrified. They were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. And when I was reading that at first this week, the first time I read through that, I was like, okay, I get, I get being terrified. And I'm like, this is good. They're crying out to the Lord because we've seen them cry out to the Lord and the Lord has answered. But then I realized, and you dig deeper and you see the very next verses, this is not a cry of faith. This isn't like, oh Lord, we're coming to you now. We believe, we believe you've led us here and you've got good purposes so we don't understand what we're seeing. That, that's not where they're crying out. They're crying out accusations against the Lord. Lord, you betrayed us. You lied to us. You aren't faithful. You don't keep your promises. These are the kind of cries. We see that as they make their cries known to Moses in the next verse. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? It was a great irony because Egypt is known for their graves. Like, that's what the pyramids are, right? Like, we could die over there. Why should we have to die over here? Again, do you see the, their, their faithless flinch? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to They reinterpret history, history. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? They didn't say that. Let us serve the Egyptians. They didn't say that. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So their faith flinch is faithless. And, and here we see... The next thing, where the, the one thing we should look at, where we fix our eyes makes all the difference. Again, picture the scene. Over here we got the sea, but we've got the, the pillar of cloud. We've got the, a, a tangible evidence of God's presence with us. But it says they, they, they literally looked up, 
They turn their back on that because down the road is where the, and all they can focus on is what's coming down the road. All they can focus on is the pain and suffering they are anticipating in their future. And it just gets locked into their mind. And that's, that's like us, right? Like, like when life hits hard, it's hard not to just be consumed with what, what's coming down with that road. And in, in, in focusing on that back here is God saying, I'm still present. I'm still there. No, 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 Lord. Look at this. Look at what's coming on. Like, I, I can lose sleep at night. I can wrestle with. I can just get so strung up. I can know the theology that God is with me, but practically in my heart, all I can see is what's coming down the road. Where we fix our eyes makes all the difference. What if instead of looking down the road, they were just like, okay, Lord, do it again. Do what you do all the time. Lead us out of this impossible situation. You've done it. He's been flexing for weeks for his people. But again, in the moment when pain comes, all they can see is what they think is going to come, which is pain and suffering, destruction and death. Moses tries to comfort them. Look at verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. It's the number one command in the Old Testament, by the way. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see. So, so they've seen the Egyptians coming, but Moses says, you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring to you today. The, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. If you're a, if you're a Bible highlight person, that's the, that's the verse to highlight. The Lord, I am. Remember his name? I am that I am. I always was, I always will be, I always, forever and ever, I am. The Lord I am will fight for you. You need only to be still. So, so we've seen a, um, a thing to remember, a place to look, and now we're going to see a step to take. It says then, verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. They're like, Move on where? <laughs> We're at the end of the road, God. And there's just an ocean here. There's just a sea here. And there's enemies here. And there's desert there. Move on where? God just says, take a step. Take a step towards the ocean. Because that's, that's where his presence is. It's just hanging out. Take a step. But Lord, we don't know how to swim. I, I don't know if we can get across. I'm not asking you to know everything. I'm asking you, I'm not expecting you to know the future. I'm expecting you to trust me. I know and control the future. So take a step. Just one step. That's all he's asking right now. Take one step. So growing often requires taking just the next step. And this is true of all of us. Like, like it actually wouldn't be that hard of an exercise for each of us to just take a moment and just say, okay, Lord, what area of my life are you just asking me to take a step? Not that I need to know everything. Not that I know how this thing's going to end. I mean, we, we are control freaks. That's one of our idols, right? We're like, okay, Lord, we'll exercise faith when it requires no faith. When I know that every step is going to work out perfectly according to my plan, I'll walk on that. And God says, no, no, no. I'm God. You're not. I'm just asking you to take a step. So, so what does it look like for you? Maybe it's a relational step. Maybe it's a, a ministry step. Maybe it's an evangelism step with your neighbor. Maybe it's a financial step. Maybe 
Like, like I, don't, I don't know what it is for you, but because I know God's desire is to grow your faith, and I know faith requires just taking a step and not, not necessarily knowing where that path leads and just trusting God, I know there's something, probably many things in your life where God says, I'm not going to tell you everything. I'm just telling you, take one step. Take one step. And so that's what he says, tell, tell them to step towards the sea. Now, this is not the only time in the Old Testament where the water is split in two. You know that? So this is the most preeminent time, the most remembered time of God saving and delivering his people out of an impossible situation. But two other times, there's a splitting of the water. Joshua, when he leads these same people uh, across, or at least their children, across the Jordan. And then Elisha and Elijah cross the Jordan as well. But what's really interesting in that scene is it says at the time of the spring when the Jordan River is raging. So you, you can picture rapids really fast. And he says, okay, I want my people to walk through the river. He says, but first... I want you to get the priests, get the ark of God, which is the tangible presence of God then. I want you, the priests, to go, and and I want them to step in the river. You're like, well, but God, the the, the river's raging. (laughs) Like, if if we step in the river, I'll die, and and the ark is going to get swept away. It's like, no, no, I, I want you to take a step of faith. And in that scene, it's really cool. As they step, as the priest with the ark of God, take the first step and their toes touch the water. It says, in that moment, the water stops. It wasn't like, it wasn't until, so, so sometimes you have to step and wait for the net to appear. This is what God is saying. This is what, how, how we grow our faith flinch, our, our faith muscles. So a thing to remember, a place to look and a step to take. So we know how this rolls out. God uh, tells Moses to raise his staff and God sends a, a strong east wind. So there's a, a natural and supernatural component like, like he's been doing already. And it, and it causes, it says literally in the Hebrew, the water to tear apart on two sides. It says God dried the ground in between them and the Israelites began to walk through. Verse 22, the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Hebrews eleven twenty nine 29 says, it was by faith the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. Which is an interesting way to put it since they don't seem to have a lot of faith in this moment. But they had enough because every step in between those two walls of water was a step of faith. Like they, they could be freaking out. They could be like, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is going to hold. But every step they took was a step of faith. And they made it all the way through. Probably 10 miles. It took all night to get through. And, and there, it would have been loud. It would have been dark. And so the wind would have been howling. Kids crying. Everyone crying. I don't know. They're, they're grabbing each other's hands. And every step is a step by, of faith. And by, by faith, they step. Then we know that the Egyptians, they roll in with their chariots and their horses, their army in behind it. The last Israelite takes a step on the other side of the shore. And then God looks down and just stops the wind. The walls of water crash down. It's a symbol of God's judgment on the Egyptians. And they get decimated. They die. Look at verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw that the Egyptians saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. It's just this remarkable scene. So again, they were in an impossible situation. God delivers, gets the glory, and look what happens in his people's heart in verse 31. And when the Israelites saw, remember they saw 
the army approaching. Moses said, you're going to see your deliverance. And it says, verse 31, when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. So again, God shows up. He demonstrates his power. They see, they savor, they have a, their, their fear of the army gets replaced with a fear, a reverence of the majesty, the weight, the glory of God, and they put their trust in him. It's, it's a beautiful picture of God working out that faith muscle in his people. But if you know anything about the book of Exodus or the Bible or yourself, uh, it doesn't last very long, right? Like, I can read this and be like, what is their problem? Like, you, of all the things that God's done for them, like, you should be good to go now. Like, you should just bank on that story the rest of your life and just kind of have this amazing faith. But, but that's not, like, every week we're going to come back here and the people are just going to be like, we were afraid. We don't trust you anymore, God. And God's going to have to intervene again. And it's easy for me to be critical of them until I realize that you and I have more than they had. We think like, oh, if, if, if we were there, we would, we would believe all the time. Our faith would be amazing if we just had that. That's not how it works, though. We actually have more than them. We have the rest of the story. We know that the crossing of the Red Sea was only a, a foreshadowing of a greater crossing. Well, we know that we have deliverance from our uh, sin and death. We escaped the judgment of the waters because Jesus came and took that on himself. He received the judgment that Egyptians got and that we deserve. He received the judgment. We know that he conquered death in the grave. More than that, we know that he has put his spirit to live inside of us. They didn't have any of that. So we have the Holy Spirit who confirms these things, who strengthens us, who's praying for us. And then we ha- we, we we're brought into a body of Christ to grow together. And he's made us uh, each differently with different gifts, with different weaknesses and strengths so that they can come together and we can build each other up. And yet and still, we still stumble and falter. And, and that's discouraging and encouraging to me. It's discouraging because it's like, man, this side of eternity is hard. Like, why do we just keep failing? Why do we keep stumbling? Why, why can't we do this? God, if you're in control, like, it seems like, it seems like I mess it up all the time. Well, how do we deal with that? Well, I, I love this quote from J.I. Packer, who just kind of addresses this idea, like, well, if God is in control, what about when we mess it up? Well, yeah, we're, we're responsible and there's consequences. But look at what Packer says. He says, our God is a God who not merely restores, but takes up our mistakes and follies into his plan for us and brings good out of them. That's how good our God is. Like, so this is also encouraging to me that God's people are, are, are so faithless because I'm faithless at times. But even in, in their faithlessness, God is faithful. And he's going to be patient with us. Uh, he's still going to want us to grow. That means he's still going to put us in impossible situations. He, he's still going to ask us to take a step where we don't know if solid ground is going to be under our feet. But he's with us. He's for us. He's patient with us. And we get to look at the gospel. Every week we come to this table, we're reminded. We're reminded of who God is. So 
We have more. Romans 8.32, Paul puts it this way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He said, if you fix your eyes on Jesus and see him dying in your place and rising for you, if God is willing to go to those lengths to you, don't you think all the other things are secondary? Don't you think he's got control of everything else? So, so we have more. But, but there's this cycle, right? There's this faith-doubt cycle. Now, the cycle looks like this. We all start on this side of eternity in our sin nature, just kind of doubting God. We see this in Adam and Eve. Like, is God really for me? I, I, don't, I think he's holding out. I don't know if God really has my best in mind. And so this doubt begins to fester. That, that begins to kind of an, an accusing of God. Like, in fact, God, I, I think you are holding out on me which is the next slide. <laughs> I, I think you're holding out. It's, I don't think you are good, God. Like, we all feel, we've all felt this at times. Like, I, I don't believe. And if there is a God, I think uh, he wouldn't do it this way. He would do things uh, that I would do. He would only uh, do my way. And so there's this kind of accusing of God. And then we saw this with the Israelites. Like, why did you lead us out here to die in the desert? Would have been better to continue to be slaves. And then God intervenes. God delivers and in that deliverance, our eyes are open. We see his glory. Uh, and that stirs in us some faith, some believing of God, some trusting in God. That trusting in God pours over into the praise of God. So chapter 15 is all a song of praise uh, of God's deliverance. And God's desire for us is to spend time uh, on the top side of this cycle. We're, we're always going to be a cycle. But as God's people, we don't have to spend very long at the bottom. The problem is... We forget, right? Like, not, not like actually, like we know Jesus still died for us, but in our hearts and our minds and our lives, we forget all these truths. We start doubting God. We maybe even start accusing God. And, and we're like, God, you, you got to deliver us. And God does and shows up and we're like, okay, it's just this cycle. But how do we spend more time at the top than the bottom? That's the question. That's where God wants us to. I think we do that together. Like one of the good gifts that God has given us to strengthen our faith is one another. This is, this is what it looks like. We can't do this on our own. To, to strength train it physically or uh, spiritually, that, that is often best done in community, right? So, so last night, my daughter who's in college FaceTimes me. I'm like, hey, what's up, Zoe? She's like, hey, dad, uh, I'm here with my friends and uh, some of them are gymnasts and they've got some pointers for you for, uh, for your hands now. I'm like, I'll put them on. And he's like, okay, so what are you doing? How's your workout? I'm like, here's what I'm doing. They're like, yeah, you're gonna have to do more than that. I'm like, I figured. Uh, and he's like, what'd you, here's, here's the next step. He's like, you go backwards up a wall and do a handstand. And so I try that. I can't do that. I'm not there yet. Um, but, but, He's giving me pointers, right? Like, he's helping me out, right? Well, well we, God has intentionally designed us to grow in our faith together. This is, not a, this is not an isolated thing, the Christian life. We are a body of Christ. So let's, let's train together. Let's help one another. Remember one thing, that God is always in control. There are going to be times this year where, where you're going to need a brother or sister that comes alongside you and it's just a tangible reminder that God is always in control. Let's help one another look to one thing, to Jesus, right? Like, that's our hope. Not in our performance, not in how good we are, but on how good Jesus is. So let's focus on Jesus. And let's help one another take one step, just one step of faith. 
Say, how's that going for you? Share with each other. I I think God is telling me in this area to take this step. Okay, I'm going to ask you next week. Did you take that one step? Because it's, again, desire is one thing, but it won't get you anywhere without submitting to the process. So for the glory of God, for our joy and for the joy of all people, let's do this. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for your deliverance of Israel that is only a foreshadow of your deliverance of us. Jesus, thank you that you split the sea so that we could walk through and be safe. And then then you took the judgment on yourself. Uh, Lord, help us to remember the one thing that you are always in control. Lord, help us to look at the one thing that you are for us and not against us. And then, Lord, help us. Show us, each, each one of us, and as a church, what it looks like to take just one step today by faith and to see you show up in that way. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.